I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Hello and welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and with me as always is Amanda Jane Stern. Every Hello. week. Oh, sorry. I apologize. I cut you off. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Every week we analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that we ask is don't be crazy. Hi, Amanda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How was your New Year's? Uh, it was. It wasn't bad. I went to a live music event that Ooh. last year was like real dancey and fun. And this year it was it was still fun to a degree, but it wasn't very dancey. It was it was a lot of um, various singers and uh, and I liked it and they had good voices. But I mean, I don't want to listen to Margaritaville at 11 o'clock at night when I'm trying to vibe or, you know, like it might have well have saying hallelujah. It felt like a karaoke vibe, which was a little odd, but um, there were some bangers in there and everyone was kind of dancing, too. So that was that was fun. But um, yeah, it wasn't bad. What about you? Uh, it was good. It was good. The uh, fiance and I had a like a tiny dinner party. We just had another couple that we're friends with from college over. And my brother was in town for the week. Uh, so we made the Julia Child's Bouffe Bourguignon <laughs> recipe nice. the entire day in the kitchen. My brother made a puff pastry appetizer. So he spent the entire day rolling out puff mm. pastry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. Yeah, that lots sounds of food, delicious. Lots of wine. It was great. It was low key. You know, we went up on the rooftop to watch the fireworks go off when the ball dropped. Can you see? Can you see Times Square or anything from your place from the rooftop? No, because um, I'm in I'm in Brooklyn. Um, but we, I mean, we can see into certain parts of Midtown, but we don't see Times Square. But there were uh, fireworks at Grand Army Plaza, which is right nearby. So we could see that from our rooftop. And then on the other side is Staten Island, which sucks, but they had really good fireworks and we could see them from the rooftop too. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And I'm glad that you had a good time. Uh, and, you know, we're starting 2024 off with a bang um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's the start of the year. It's a lot of firsts for a lot of people, resolutions and all that. And so what we're doing for January is focusing on new beginnings, firsts. And that's that's first films from uh, specific directors. Some of them were cheating a little bit and they aren't going to be their exact first, but maybe the most critically acclaimed first. I don't think we're cheating at all, actually. I, I think of the four that we've decided we're doing, that really is their first. Okay. Well, I know this one for sure is a mm-hmm. first. And we are today we are going to be talking about David Lynch's Eraserhead from 1977. This movie was directed, of course, by the one and only David Lynch. Um, if you don't know who he is, uh, go down a YouTube rabbit hole and it will <laughs> cause you to go down 15 other rabbit holes. And then it'll make you question your existence on this world and be like, what the fuck? No, <laughs> so. if you don't know who he is, find a midnight showing of one of his movies or a double feature at an art house cinema and go in cold. 
that that was how I did my first. Um, I did a double feature of Blue Velvet and Wild mm. at Heart. Uh, lots of people, obviously, in the theater had seen it. I had not. Fucking love Blue Velvet. It's one of my favorite movies now. You sent mm, some gather and it's not one of yours. So this is going to be one of those interesting episodes where I'm much more on board with this movie than you are. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a doozy. I'll just put it that way. It was written, produced, uh, directed. Uh, special effects were done by David Lynch himself. And it's a pretty low budget film. Um, it stars Jack Nance, Charlotte Stewart. Fish Alan- in the Percolator. What's that? He has Jack Nance is in Twin Peaks, and he has a line oh, yes. where he goes, "There's a fish in the percolator." And my fiance and I have been quoting that to each other for about a decade now. <laughs> he, I, I, so it's been a really long time, and I'll get into this later during the meat of the meat of the conversation. It's been a really long time since I've seen Twin Peaks. I really enjoyed it quite a bit, um, and I do remember him f- uh, briefly uh, as being, I think, what like the lodge. No, yeah, he's a, he's a huge part. Yeah, he's he's like an owner or like a store clerk or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he, yeah, I remember he him. He like runs the. He's not the lodge, um, because the the lodge that's Audrey Horn's dad. Yeah, but he he's like a fisherman. He's married to um Catherine, who is having yeah. the affair with Audrey Horn's dad. Lots of affairs in Twin Twin Peaks. So many affairs. Lots of lots of affairs. Um, it also stars Alan Joseph, Gene Bates, Judith Roberts, and Laurel Near. Critically, on IMDb, it's a 7.3 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, tomato meter, 89% uh, critics, 82% audience. So it is well liked. And I was talking about the budget. The budget was estimated at about $10,000. So pretty, pretty low. Um, I watched it on Max. It is also on the Criterion channel, I believe. But Max is uh, where it's at. Yeah, same. I have Max, so couple fun facts from the trivia. So when production on the film took longer than expected, David Lynch had to sleep in the same room used as Henry's bedroom for over a year. That is crazy. It's small. There's a lot of dirt and there are worms everywhere. (laughs) Stanley Kubrick made the cast of The Shining watch this film, among others, to get in the mood for filming a horror picture. I like it. I, I I can see that. I can see how it'd be twisted in macabre. The script is thought to have inspired have been inspired by David Lynch's fear of fatherhood. His daughter, Jennifer Lynch, had been born with severely clubbed feet, requiring extensive corrective surgery as a child. Jennifer has claimed that her own unexpected conception and birth defects were the basis for the film's themes. Fascinating. And I was picking up on that vibe without even knowing that. So interesting. David Lynch refuses to say anything about Eraserhead because he wants to let viewers decide for themselves what they think it means. Very much like Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. He gives hints, but it is what it is. Um, okay, here is a synopsis for anyone who has not seen this movie. Insert synopsis there. Okay, Amanda, let's just jump right into it. Uh, what the hell is going on with this movie? <laughs> like, what the hell? This is, it's it's crazy. I mean, let's discuss your specific interpretations, because like I said in the trivia, this is open for interpretation. Oh, so yeah. I feel I w- I feel the movie is ambiguous on purpose, and I may be had a different takeaway than you, but I'm I'm curious, like what the hell is going on in this movie? See, I'm not sure I necessarily actually see it as so ambiguous as I do see it as something that is a linear narrative structure told in a surrealistic manner. I I totally see it as this terror of fatherhood, but not just that. It it's kind of like this this terror of fertility. I mean everything you see looks like 
sperm. You know, the child looks like sperm. There's the sperm at the beginning. Mm -hmm. There is the woman in the radiator literally stomping on his sperm. There's the moment he wakes up and his wife is sleeping beside him and he's like pulling out all the little sperm babies. And I think it's it's in many ways this extreme fear of what sex can lead to. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, you're mentioning of Jennifer being born with clubbed feet. You can definitely see that fear of your child being born with abnormalities and not knowing how to go about it and blaming yourself and wondering if this is something that you caused that you did and that you're the problem. And I think, you know, if you watch Jack Nance's character, Henry, um, it, it's his own, he's this very mild-mannered strange fellow which is much how we kind of associate lynch being he's got the wild hair um and it's his own you know terror of not only becoming a father when he did not plan to be a father mm -hmm. but that the child is not what he expects it to be and then he keeps finding the sperm everywhere and that it it's like this extreme fear of having more of these weird alien sperm babies <laughs> yeah, that I mean, those were those were pretty gnarly. And and I mean, I got that I picked that up because I was trying to analyze the very beginning, the odd scene with the imposed sperm coming out of his mouth, essentially kind of looks like the little alien creature. Um, but I'm like, what is going on here? Why is this guy well, have a bunch of sores all over him? Creating and, and, a planet is much like birthing a baby. Sure. It's, it's and creation. And, well, but I'm, what I mean is I, I didn't get that right off the bat because I'm like, what is what's going on with this film? And then it takes a little bit to get into. And I and I appreciated that because I was like, OK, I see what it is. I mean, you know, he tries to step away when the baby's sick and crying and the baby cries and he's like, I got to come and sit back down. And, you know, that's fatherhood. Uh, the mom just wants a good night's sleep. I mean, I'm sure he does, too, but they have to raise this child together. Um, it's it, it is. I can see that and I and I get that um, it feels very nightmarish like this mm -hmm. feels incomplete. So that's why I lean more towards like this is a nightmare because there are moments that you're like, how did we get from this point to this point? And how did this time jump this quick? And why are these things connected? And, and for that reason, I feel like it's like a dream nightmare sort of scenario. Oh, I think it's definitely operating with some level of dream logic. And I think that's a lot of David Lynch things do that. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that's that's so fascinating, too, because it would be really neat to understand exactly what Lynch meant by it. I do love the idea of leaving it open for interpretation to a degree. For the most part, I do. But there are some things that I'm like, I want answers. So like when we talked, I was talking about Twin Peaks. There are so many things that you're like, wait a minute. What, what's <laughs> the reasoning behind this? And especially Mulholland Drive, uh, that movie you know, on the DVD insert, it had like 10 clues or seven clues to understand it. And I'm just like, what is going on? And I'm not even going to jump into Reddit or anything because mm -hmm. those ideas are just out of control. And and But I'm not saying they're wrong because that's that's the whole point. It's their interpretation. It's just I, I get overwhelmed with it all. And I, I think Lynch is, is good at doing that. And this movie felt very overwhelming to me. Hmm. So that's where I didn't, I didn't feel of it as being super lin uh, linear. It felt just kind of like excerpts of something going on in the story. Like if I were to randomly flip through chapters in a book in sequential order, you know, but like skip, skip three, four, go straight to five. Like that's what it, it kind of felt like to me. Oh, that that is actually really interesting because to me it, it didn't. It I mean, it, 
it was definitely dreamscapey, but to me it was you're following this man who has been in a relationship with this woman, but it's not like a it, it's kind of casual. And whoa, she's pregnant and this is the child and you're watching him just kind of slowly and slowly descend into the nightmare of being a new father to yeah. a creature. And the adultery that comes with it too where you know he he's tempted by the the next door neighbor. Oh my god, that sex scene. It's weird. I love it. It's like a swimming pool of milk. It's, <laughs> Just it, but then it, it turns into a vagina at the end with the hair. Oh, I guess I missed that. <laughs> there is so much vaginal imagery and phallic imagery in this movie. Yes, lots I'm very of phallic. Excited to get to hot takes because I I'm coming in strong with what I've got to say at the end, <laughs> but. I, what do you what do you make of the chicken when he cuts the chicken and all the blood start it doesn't even cut it yet and all the blood starts squirting out and everything at dinner that whole meeting the parents and dinner scene was so weird to me because and then the mom kind of starts orgasming yeah, while and, he's like yeah the chicken and and then the daughter is kind of seizing and the mom starts brushing brushing her hair and she you know tosses the salad with that lady's hands and it just it was so odd and I didn't get the the bloody chicken thing Uh well, chicken's probably okay. I'm going crazy on this one. Do I'm, it. I'm it's Lynch. It's Lynch. Weird, you gotta. Like, I was a film student. Let's go bonkers. Um, the chicken would have been a female, so it lays eggs. It's literally it's blood gushing out of a circular hole. Mm -hmm. It is all vaginal imagery. The mother comes on to him, and you've got this weird sort of woman coming of age replacing the mother who in turn has replaced the other older woman who is now this comatose lady mm -hmm. who she's you know flipping the salad with and you've got the father who's just like this meek nothing of a man which is much like henry who is just kind of like going with the flow but it, i think it is also this kind of fear that he has of these women taking over his life and so when the chicken starts <laughs> menstruating basically you know, and the mom, which you could read as blood, but also as someone getting horny. And the mom is basically mm. orgasming as it's going on. So you're like, oh, boy. And then she comes on to him in the next moment almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was weird. It was like a punishment. You know, you're going to get married to my daughter and you're going to get the baby, but only um, until you get married. And it was, you know, he, he was like, I'm too nervous to answer. It was it was odd, and I, I didn't want to overanalyze it because sometimes I think simplification is the best answer for, for this kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think you're you're far off from probably what that is. I, I mean, I like that assertion. I have nothing about the chicken. I was just like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? And and I was like cursing Amanda Jane Stern. I'm like, God damn her for making me watch this. Hey, but I didn't make you watch The Devils, so. But, well, and, and I'll just quickly jump ahead with overall like overall like there were some amazing shots in this movie and and i really really applaud david lynch especially this being um you know the the start of his career really and then we just see it take off so um but yeah some things that i picked up uh that i wrote down in terms of meaning and message and and you can agree or disagree and i'd love to hear it but like uh, this movie's about parenthood Mm -hmm. uh, fears of marriage or the marital cycle, I guess, temptation and adultery, uh, the awkward meeting of parents. And I think that that is just the awkwardness of meeting 
anybody with social, you know, when you have social anxiety meeting anyone, which in my opinion, he had social anxiety. Oh yeah. Um, very much so. <laughs> I think the worms represented both penis and zygotes or babies. Um, mm-hmm. I think also, yeah. Fertility and the earth fertility and, and, and the earth. Yep. Yeah. And when it was trying to find the holes and stuff, um, that ring, the little box, that's a worm ring. What did mm-hmm. you think that represented? I, that that was definitely something that conf- – because I was looking at that. I was like, is that – is it a ring? Oh, it's a worm. Is it one of the sperm things? No, mm-hmm. it is definitely a worm. Um, Yeah, I didn't really come up with a concise answer for that. I mean, it's a box and it's a worm shaped like a ring. So I, I, I guess at a base level you could say it's about the shackles of marriage and, and you know, what should be in the box is a shiny pretty ring and instead it's a – twisted decaying worm aha so that's kind of what i was thinking too so in my opinion the worm in the ring box it represents henry henry is his name right Mm -hmm. uh henry's bachelor life slash slash sexual life like all the things that being a single person is um it it gets put away because he literally puts it into that that you know cabinet or whatever and closes it and he constantly wakes up to check on it as his new wife after i think a year passed from the dinner scene to, to the bedroom scene um, you know, after they're together, that's that's all of that stuff put aside and he's giving that up. And that's what how I perceived that. I really liked that. I thought that that was very smart. Um, but again, that's just my interpretation. And I and I think to strengthen that once he opens it up and then we see the worm do the little mm-hmm. like the really gross sound effects through all the I holes of the soundscape. The sound was great in this, but some of the things and I, I keep saying we'll get to it later because we're going to get to things later, but <laughs> Just some gross out stuff. But yeah, the holes, in, in in my opinion, represent him finding mates, finding new mates. And, mm-hmm. and that's his his sexual life opening up. Um, that opens the door for him. So well, you could also yeah. say the scene where he wakes up and his wife is sleeping next to him and he's pulling mm-hmm. all the, the yeah. sperm babies. I, I said that was a wet dream. That's what I felt Oh, wait, felt I do as. think it's a dream. Yeah. I don't know if it's a wet dream. I think it's a fear of the nuclear family unit and that means procreating and having more kids Mm. and having more of these because if you if you look at a lot of david lynch's work that came after this you know twin peaks blue velvet wild at heart has an interesting mother-daughter dynamic there is a Mm. lot of him playing pulling from americana imagery but also playing with the idea of the nuclear family unit and the you know the two and a half kids a dog a wife and a white picket fence and and like the perfect ideal of that and then finding the really gross gritty underbelly yeah and this is very clearly you know how how that all came to be i could totally see that and that makes a lot of sense um, for me, the reason I felt it was like a wet dream sequence was because he literally had a dream right before that with the moon face lady, the big puffy mm-hmm. cheeks, where she's stepping on the worms um, or the creatures. She's the lady in the radiator. That's yeah, what she's there called. we go. Lady in the radiator. So for me, though, I feel that that's I felt like it was that was the, a dream within a dream, essentially, because we're watching the dream. But um I immediately thought this is a wet dream because he's checking and he looks and obviously it looks like sperm <laughs> and he he throws it against the wall because the first thing you do, I mean, as a guy, w- when we were young and, and we would have a wet dream, you, you got to throw your underwear away or you do whatever with it because you got to hide the evidence, right? Got to clean up. Um, 
you got to clean up. And so that's how I felt with it. And I think it plays in with, with the themes that we've kind of already talked about too. I don't think either of our interpretations are wrong. I, and I, they I, might also <laughs> not be right either. Who exactly. Knows? But and that's great. <laughs> that's that, that is why I applaud this film for, for that kind of, we can have this discourse. And I think as we're talking more, it's, making me appreciate it a lot more. It doesn't mean I want to watch it again, but it does make me appreciate it a hell of a no, lot No, it's more. definitely one of those movies that you you see it once and you're like, I'm never going to forget that. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not return. It's not comfort food. I'm not returning to it time and again. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a good, I've seen it. There we go. It's a, uh, you know, film students uh, will put a poster on their wall so they can uh, be edgy along with Fight Club and mm -hmm. like what else? Shawshank Redemption. So. But if I'm going to go rewatch David Lynch, I will watch Blue Velvet again. I've seen that so many times. Mm. I love that one. You know, but it's also I mean, that's a genre. It's a neo-noir. I love noir. Yeah, I admittedly am not a huge David Lynch fan. Um, I have only seen a few of his films. I really, really loved uh, Twin Peaks, but I have not mm -hmm. seen his Fire Walk With Me or the newest season of Twin Peaks that came out a few years ago. Should you I will. Should. I, I was going to say I that a lot of this movie reminds me of part eight from the, the revival, mm -hmm. but if you haven't seen The Return, then yeah. that doesn't mean anything. So I definitely will. It's just kind of one of those things I got to like psych myself up for yes. it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's so funny though. Cause when you look at David Lynch as a person, man has a hell of a good head of hair. Um, mm -hmm. he, he, he's he, a weird guy. He, he, he's so weird. Um, so weird, so odd, but I'll, but I, but I dig it and he's an, a, a tour and I appreciate the hell out of it. So, um, yeah. And also it seems that actors who've worked with him really like working with him mm -hmm. and that he treats them really well and like is really open to their ideas and collaboration. Like there are videos of him, you know, after a take that he really likes crying and clapping <laughs> for his actors. He's a very weird guy. And then there's also like, yes, the actor wasn't trans in in Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. Granted, it was the 90s. They 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 were not casting actually trans actors in trans roles. Mm -hmm. But there was a very positive trans character in Twin Peaks. Which one? The original. The FBI agent who oh, yeah. works with... Um, wasn't that David Duchovny? Cooper. Yeah, David Duchovny plays That's her. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. She, you know, she shows up when it's Cooper calls her in. This is when he doesn't know that she has transitioned and is just remembering like, oh, yeah, I used to work with this guy. And she shows up and says it's whatever her, I'm forgetting her name right now. And mm -hmm. immediately Cooper's like, okay, great. Yeah. Okay. I remember now. Briefly. And it, it's also, it's a super positive character like there's nothing about this character that is portrayed in a negative light it's someone who is entirely a good person yeah. not like oh they're too good to be a real person they're still a weird character because it's a david lynch project and that's the thing about all of his characters is for the most part most people don't fall into like fully good fully evil other than bob who's not yeah. really human so that doesn't count you know it, it's that people themselves are really weird and there's a lot of compassion even for the messed up people. Mm -hmm. So Eraserhead, we discussed the sound. I think this movie mm -hmm. utilizes some very interesting sound choices that juxtapose the visuals. It's, it's dark. We get a lot of uh, cool lighting and shadows, a lot of dirt, a lot of twigs everywhere. But the sound 
seems different, seems somewhat more upbeat at times or darker when there's a, a well-lit scene. Uh, so it's it's just interesting. Um, and there is no actual dialogue for the first 10 and a half minutes of the movie. And additionally, the last maybe 20 to 30 minutes of the film, there's also no dialogue. So we start and we end with no dialogue. How did you feel about the lack of dialogue? It works here. It it fits in here. It didn't feel like a gimmick to not have dialogue here. And I know we talked about this a bit with... Um, no one will save you. And also I am a person who loves silent films. So mm-hmm. there's there's that. Um, but you know, sometimes not having dialogue, you're like, it's weird no one's saying anything. And sometimes it's like, well, yeah, what would they be saying here? Why the fuck do they need to talk? He's not a guy who talks a lot anyway. Yeah. What's he gonna do? Talk at the alien sperm baby? <laughs> who are you? Poo? What are you? Yeah. Explain explain this dream to the viewer. <laughs> you don't need that. Yeah. Have you seen um, Eight and a Half, Fellini? Mm-hmm. Uh, that opening reminds, or so this reminds me, or it, it has shades of that opening where it's very odd. Um, okay, there's I can, not yeah. much dialogue, um, and it just kind of takes you to this somewhat desolate, almost supernatural. And it, the the difference being, you know, Fellini for Eight and a Half, he's in a tunnel. Um, that's jam-packed with cars, but then you get that scene where people are just like hanging their arms out the windows with no heads and he gets pulled up into the air. And and I feel, I felt a lot of that with this film or at least the same kind of vibe. So I'd be curious if Lynch used some of Fellini, I mean, who, you know, who didn't in, uh, in his style choices, which is, you know, definitely not a bad thing at all. Um, oh yeah, Fellini has influenced so many of our more modern and I guess, you know, David Lynch isn't even a, He's current. He's still working, but you know he is working. Mm-hmm. So it, it was. I mean, it was a little. It was a little odd for me <laughs> at first because I'm just like, okay, what's going on? But I've seen a lot of movies, obviously, with no dialogue. You know, um, for example, No Country for Old Men. I'm sorry, um, There Will Be Blood. There's mm-hmm. about 15 minutes, 20 minutes of no dialogue to start. It's just sound and music, um, and it is it is great. So it doesn't necessarily mean it will deter a movie from from being good. Okay, so this is what I was alluding to earlier when I was saying we'll we'll talk about this. This movie's <laughs> gross. This movie yep. is disgusting. The chicken scene, all this stuff. You know, the baby, the the baby itself looks like a weird uh, dinosaur, and then when it gets sick, I'm just like, God damn it! <laughs> um, the the puffy cheek lady is gross. Uh, yeah, the, like I said the bloody chicken, even the all the little worms like stepping on them was just ah. And and do you get grossed out by movies? Like, why do directors like Cronenberg and Lynch insist on such oddities? Uh, yes, I get grossed out, but I can also really appreciate it. There's certain things that gross me out. I think I would have probably found this visually grosser if it were in color. The black and white helps. I think it definitely did. Yeah, I I think it's like the sores on the body. That was maybe the grossest thing to me. But I I also kind of appreciate how disgusting it was because when you think about what it's talking about, I mean, childbirth is pretty gory. It's pretty disgusting. Like there's a lot of stuff that that we go through as people. And I'm, you know, saying this as someone who has a uterus that is disgusting. Mm-hmm. And it's gory and it's gross and you just get used to it and that's part of life. And so I really appreciate it when it's used in body horror in that way. You know, um, I, I I was watching Titan recently and there's so much of that gory body horror that it and it fits what the story is, you know, and I appreciate it there. Granted, the most recent script I wrote is pretty gross and gory, too. So <laughs> I 
I have my limits and there are times where I think, oh, that was stupid and unnecessary and you're just doing it because you want to make us squeamish. But there are other times where I think it really fits a story. Like you're talking about childbirth. You're talking about these these bodily functions. Those are gross. Mm-hmm. We don't need to sanitize everything. And I, I appreciate that. Did you have any moments in the film where you, I mean, let's just, i this is how I'll put it in, in reference. I can't eat watching movies like this uh, because then I'm just like, no, I don't want this sandwich anymore. Because oh, yeah, I did not eat. I, I did not eat while watching this movie. Okay, good. I know there are some psychopaths out there that will have like a whole plate of sp- spaghetti no. while they watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I'm just like, oh, God, please no. That movie like makes me sick to my stomach. It I is love awesome. That movie. It is awesome, I, but it's gross. I will not eat while I'm watching. I think it's gorgeous. I think it is sure beautiful. It it's is still gross. Like a macabre <laughs> museum. It is. Yeah. Um. No, I'm not eating while I'm watching that. I might have a shot of whiskey. <laughs> that sounds about right. Or a glass mm-hmm. of wine. <laughs> a glass of wine. I'm having a glass of wine right now. No, I'm not. I'm not eating with movies like that. So why do you think that directors like David Cronenberg and David Lynch, uh, both named David for some reason, mm-hmm. uh, why do you think they rely on the body horror and uh, and 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 that's like one of their calling cards in in certain films? Oh, I think they want. I definitely think they want to shock, and that's a big part of it. And I think with someone with Lynch and also someone with Cronenberg, Berg, they're playing with and pushing against the ideas, especially Lynch, of you know, the American middle upper class dream of everything is clean yeah. everything has to be clean everything needs a perfect facade and we don't talk about the gross stuff and he's saying here it is in your face <laughs> and and he's confronting you with that and i like that i've i've just never been able to get into it and and i really respect cronenberg as well the fly though is is I've never seen that movie in its entirety because I've seen enough about it where I'm like, nope, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um scanners, the same kind of thing. I'm like, I saw the scene where the head explodes. Nope, I'm good for the rest of it. Um, Have you seen Shiver? No, no. Uh I don't that know was what my that first. is. Oh, <laughs> is it gross? Yeah, it's like a sexually transmitted mania bug. Oh. Fun. <laughs> so it's a Christmas film is what you're trying to say. Totally. Oh, my God. Next <laughs> next Christmas. Oh, gosh. It's, it is cool, though, that they do have style, and especially if it's done tastefully. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Thing is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's definitely a body horror film and just disgusting creature creation. But... Um, Rob Botton, I, I just love what he did for himself. I mean, that, that rumor is, you know, he put himself in the hospital working so hard on the practical effects and that says something about it. I mean, it still stands the test of time. I uh, love some practical gore. Oh, me too. I absolutely love it. It, it gets hard to watch at times though. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the, the part for me where I'm just like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> here's, here's where I tend to have to close my eyes is when it's, eye stuff yeah eye things are disgusting that, eye things are I, where i have to uh, yeah uh, <laughs> fingernails too when fingernails get ripped off uh, or teeth get pulled i i have a hard mm. time with that i just yeah. watch i just watched eye things uh, and mouth noises yeah i just watched the leave the world behind on on netflix mm-hmm. it's a eh, meh but anyhow there's a part where a kid pulls his teeth out and i'm just like oh stop 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 like <laughs> I, I don't want to fucking see that it's it's gross it's so gross to me Teeth, yeah, that doesn't bug me so much. It is eye stuff. I, I was even watching, and I, this was okay, but I was watching um, Terminator recently, and there's the eye scene. Oh, and yeah. so all of a sudden it starts, and my fiance looks over at me and goes, 
I'm sorry in advance. Because <laughs> that's that's my thing. That's the the thing mm-hmm. that gets to me. Ugh. That one wasn't so bad because I was like, it's a robot. It's okay. Oof. You know, and, and somehow I was able to divorce the idea of it being a human because I did a good job of, of giving him like a robotic looking head then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's generally eye stuff where I'm like, Eye stuff is pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm also not a fan of it too much, especially if the skin's pulled away, like in a, a yes. RoboCop movie or something like that, where um, you know yeah. it's just eyes and a brain, and you're like, oh, gross. I don't like that. Though the first Robo, the original, the RoboCop is a pretty great movie. Mm-hmm. We did that for an episode um, a couple of years ago. I could talk for hours about how amazing that film is. It is. It really it's so is. Good. It's really it's funny. So good. And Verhoeven. So- anti-corporatism oh yeah Verhoeven had so much to say and I Mm -hmm. loved the hell out of it so which is it's actually kind of interesting watching Total Recall after watching Terminator and Robocop Mm -hmm. and seeing there are definitely a lot of ideas that they're pulling from there's there's definitely still that anti-corporate message in Total Recall but it's just not as it's not as like driving home any point you know it's kind of like it's fine but it's not something I'm going to revisit in the same way that I'll be like, yeah, put Terminator on or yeah, RoboCop is fucking great. <laughs> so in my opinion, um, I think the his, his trifecta or his trilogy would be RoboCop, Total Recall and Starship Troopers. I think all three of those, because uh, they all kind of came out around the same ish mm. time, um, had uh, the same types. Well, not the same types of message, but the messages he really wanted to talk about, like anti-fascism, yeah. anti-fascism um, consumerism. And mm-hmm. then uh, ultraviolence just itself in our corporate greed, uh, corporate privatization of things that sh- are yep. for the public good. Yep. Yeah. And so I think all three of those need to be viewed kind of together to really understand Verhoeven. Because then you get movies like Hollow Man, which are like, eh, but, uh, you know, Basic Instinct. And then Showgirls, yes. his yes. his best no, film, I've Showgirls. Seen... <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see the best sex scene in, in movie oh history, God. it's a lot of splashing. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, God. And it's not wet in a good way. <laughs> no, not in a good way. But uh, but our boy uh, from Twin Peaks is in it. Main guy, yes, Kyle Chandler or er, Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Yeah. Uh, I I have been to a wine signing of his. Cool. I didn't know he did wine. He has a wine label. It's called Exit uh, Pursued by Bear. Like after oh. the Shakespeare <laughs> Exit Pursued by Bear. Um, he actually has some real good wines. Good for him. I yeah. like it. You can uh, call him Mr. Mayor from Portlandia. <laughs> So David Lynch, like I said, great head of hair, awesome guy, puts himself in his movies sometimes. He is arguably most famous for Twin Peaks, at least in my opinion. But that doesn't mean that there aren't myriad fans who love all of his other movies. Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, Wild at Heart, uh, Elephant Man, Eraserhead, all those, right? So my question to you, Amanda, is what do you think Lynch does better, TV or film? And for the sake of this, you got to pick one. Film. Okay, interesting. Why? Um, because, and I, I think sometimes it's when you're dealing with the TV format, is that you have so much time to fill, it runs into a problem of even I'm running out of what to do. Fair enough. And I can see that with Twin Peaks at towards the end when you're like, wait a minute. After granted, like- he wasn't really involved in season two. Oh, he wasn't? Mm-mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he left because the the network, was making him I think it's after episode seven they they forced him to reveal the killer and he wasn't going to fascinating okay oh okay so, so he's very not like very little involved um the whole reason that uh Annie 
got brought in to be a love interest for Cooper and Billy Crudup was brought in for Audrey is because Laura Flynn Boyle, who played Donna in real life, was dating Kyle McLaughlin at the time. And she was jealous of the storyline between him and Audrey. And she was jealous that Sherilyn Fenn and Machen Amick got more press attention than she did. Yikes. What a nightmare. So she, like, <laughs> she's the, the only actress who hasn't wanted to work with Lynch again. And apparently, like, the other people were like, yeah, she wasn't easy to work with. So whereas everyone else was like, no, it's a joy. He was great. He wanted to hear all my ideas. And so she forced him to change storylines. And it wasn't that Audrey and Cooper were even going to end up getting together, but it it, it forced him to write scenes not hmm. with them together when they, as actors, had great partner chemistry. Like they worked really well together in scenes and it was fun to watch. I feel like that's also kind of what happened with Dune where there was so much studio interference, right? I mean, I would have really loved to see what Lynch could have done with Dune, the source material. Now, I mean, Villeneuve, I, I think, did a phenomenal job with Dune Part 1, and we'll see what happens this year with Dune Part 2. I mean, as a fan of the book, it, you know... Hey, he, penis he, worms! Yeah, and it went, so in Eraserhead, I couldn't help but think of the worms when I saw those. I'm like, oh, that's how he got his, or that's how it carried over to Dune, but it okay. was pretty funny. In in Dune, that is where there is, there's a level of grossness that's too gross for me. It's the, ugh, what's the bad guy's name? It's all the boils on his skin. Oh, yeah. That, um, that is what is actually visually. Baron Harkonnen, yeah. Yeah, that is something I cannot look at. That's where I have to look away. His are, his are disgusting, too. Those are and, gross. And they do such a better job with Stellan Skarsgård in the Villeneuve one, where he's mm-hmm. almost like a giant snake. Um, mm, and, better. you know, his his entrance is him basically in this oil pit, which is like a, a bathing thing for him. And it's so much more menacing and it, sleek yeah. and, yeah. the. the See, Pizza the Hut and Spaceballs, that was <laughs> yeah. always too gross for that's, me. I had to look away That's at that gross scene. also. And I get grossed out by food when people eat yes. food. Oh my God, me too. I, so like the platform. I hate watching people eat. I don't want to see food in your mouth. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I know. Just no. It's so gross to me. Like when Denethor eats a tomato in Return of the King, I'm just like, oh God, stop. I hate, it's gross. I hate watching. I do not like wine, drinking, fine. Food, ugh. The thing about Lynch with with film, though, too, and that does make sense that they switch writers because, you know, after Cooper gets shot, it's kind of like, what what's going on here with all these messages and stuff? Um, but I, I, the thing about film, I think you're right. It does go on a little too long. So you start to kind of lose ideas. I didn't really feel like it did as much, though, with with Twin Peaks. I mean, I still, again, enjoyed it. The ending is is it is what it is. And I'm <laughs> sure that they'll answer those questions in the the season that they released a few years back some um, of them but yeah and i've heard that season is still kind of like crazy there's still mm-hmm. some moments that you're just like whoa what is going on that season is insane so i'm i'm very intrigued by that idea um i just i don't know if i can say that i've seen enough of his films to really have a solid opinion on it but i've seen probably 3 of his films and i i mean i enjoyed them for the most part for what they were but, but remember, Twin Peaks season one is like a 10 episode season. And sure. then season two is like a 22 episode season. Yeah, I, I remember it was super long and that was kind mm-hmm. of annoying to me. It doesn't um, need to be. Whereas no. The Return is only eight episodes. So if you give yeah. them a format where there's a time constraint and you have to fit this, I think it works better. I So I, for for the sake of this question, TV, I think he's, he's better at. Um, but I would love to see him direct an episode of Fargo. 
because that could be real fun. Mm-hmm. He he could get he could get dark he could get odd he, that would be real fun I would he's I would never done love, that he's never done like a one off TV episode has it's only it's yeah. his stuff I would I would love to see what he could do um, he has a cameo in the Fablemans and he plays um, yes didn't uh, he ask for John Cheetos? Ford he what? just wanted Cheetos to be in the movie oh really yeah oh I he's didn't... a really weird guy oh I didn't know uh, I didn't know he has that that's funny yeah 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 that was his one requirement he was like. Pay me and Cheetos. I'm good. Oh, sweet. Love, love that, <laughs> He's though. He's a really weird dude. I mean, doing doing a favor for his buddy, Steven. I mean, he yeah, he, he played John Ford. I mean, that was He was hilarious in it, too. So it was He's of, really funny on one, screen. One of the most memorable moments in the film, in my opinion. He's very funny. In Twin Peaks, he's really funny. Mm-hmm. I love his character. His headphones. Do you yeah. know that uh, Candace, my girlfriend, lives in North Bend, actually? North Bend is where it was filmed. I did not. And so I, that's where I go. I've been going for the better part of a year plus, um, you know, a few times a week. I drive over there from Seattle, and it's a good, like, 45-minute drive from Seattle. It's not terrible, but it's really pretty out there in the summertime. Um, I, I, I wouldn't want to live out there, in my opinion. Um, it's just too small of a town. But they do have the Double R Diner, and it it's um it's called Tweeds now. They they changed the names, but they still have all the merchandise like, du- like Double R and whatnot. There was some issue. The um, so they always the say cherry pie. They always say it's the best damn pie and best damn coffee, you know. Um, and you can do that, and that's a big reason they're so busy is they get a lot of mm-hmm. Twin Peaks fans that go of there. Of course. But um, yeah, and and the lodge where uh, you know, what's his name, Mister Horn, where mm-hmm. that one that he owns, that's the Salish Lodge that's out okay. in um, Snoqualmie, and it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, go out there all the you time. Know so. That the the actor who plays uh, Mister Horn, um. Richard Horn. Uh, is Richard Horn. Sw- yeah, what's the actor's first name? Is it also Richard Richard Baymar or something like that? Oh, I don't know. He was uh, Tony in the original West Side Story movie. And mm. um, the guy who plays Dr. Jacoby is Russ Tamblin. He was... Um, he was also, also in... Yeah, yeah he Ru- is. They're, they're the same team. And Russ Tamblin was in uh, House on a Haunted... Was it House on a Haunted Hill? He was in He's another in the movie. Haunting, the original The Haunting. The Haunting. That's what the original is. one, not the one that we covered. The original one, he plays basically the character that they turned into the Owen Wilson type. Yeah, there you go. Yes, the characters are nothing alike in no. in the yeah. <laughs> he's he's the character in the the original uh, 1960 or 63 haunting. Cool. Uh, so, do you have any favorite movie moments from? I'm sorry. Do you have any favorite moments from Eraserhead? Yeah. Oh, that weird sex scene. That was very odd. I was I, the, the whole time I'm like, man, how'd they film this? Like, did they have to just hold know, their breath underwater so cool. for that long? So I think I was more intrigued by that. And that was that was fun. I'm sure there was a lot more that it represented than I cared to explore. But I just was more intrigued by how it was shot. <laughs> how They were slowly lowering down into it. I thought that was really neat. But what else? And then you have her hair at the end and it like splays out and it's, it's very curly and it's up at the top. Oh, yeah. That scene. <laughs> um. That was my favorite. I, I really like the stage lighting up right before you meet the woman with the big cheeks. Yeah. I was like, I can see the parallels here to Twin Peaks, to the Red Room. Yep. That's how that's the vibe I got with it, yep. too. It, it felt very much like that. And the singing, too. Mm-hmm. So. There's actually, oh, yeah. He uses diegetic music a lot. When she's mm-hmm. singing, it reminded me a lot of um, In Dreams and in, in Blue Velvet. And I love the song In Dreams. Mm-hmm. What about mo- uh, moments you disliked in the movie? I don't love the man with the sores because those gross me out too much. 
Was he supposed to be the baby grown I up? Think so. Because he was inside the egg, right? The yeah. moon, the moon egg, kind of, you know, doing whatever with the the controls. Yeah. So I'm assuming that he's like guiding some sperm to him, and then that's, that's kind the, of the baby. Interpretation I got to, yeah. Yeah, I didn't like the sores either. I just was like, this is disgusting. Yeah, those are gross to me. What What did the title mean to you? What did Eraserhead mean to you? Oh, if I'm spitballing and like bullshitting an answer here i guess erasing is what you do like you erase a mistake and having the baby is a mistake so i i because I, I had no freaking clue other than the one scene <laughs> when his head comes off mm-hmm. and an eraser gets pulled out and they make pencils and i'm just like what what is okay this movie completely lost me at this point now <laughs> um and i was trying i was really trying but um i did search on reddit and on r slash david lynch some of them you know uh barefoot scott 69 great great name he said uh henry's hair rather suggests an eraser on the top of a pencil uh plus his head pops out at one point plus david lynch wanted to erase the fact that he had become a father poor jennifer Oh, I don't, hey, that's what I just said. Exactly. So I thought that that was very, uh, very on point. I, I, I dig it. Um, and then also additionally, it says um, from Floyd Pink 24, he says Henry essentially erases his head on one level. He literally ends up in an eraser factory. There's also a dry visual pun when he rips the photo of Mary where he erases her head. Because remember the beginning mm-hmm. when he reaches in yes. for the photo of her? That was a little weird. Um, well, because they broke up. She's his ex-girlfriend. Oh, I didn't get that. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there there are a bunch of different ones, but I have no fucking clue <laughs> other, <laughs> other than what the internet says. And this one was, I, I struggled with it. I felt stupid watching this movie at times. I know I'm not stupid, but I felt stupid. (laughs) So uh, finally, not many directors can be acclaimed in their directorial debuts, but David Lynch pulled it off with compliments from some excellent directors, George Lucas, Stanley Kubrick, and Mel Brooks, just to name a few. Um, I guess if a director accomplishes cinematic glory with their with their freshman film, their their first film, does that automatically put them in this historical director echelon as one of the greats, despite maybe what their preceding films look like? So by that, I mean, if Lynch went on to do 10, 10 dunes, basically films that were like dunes, but he always had a racer head. Does that put him up just because he had a racer head or does it kind of tarnish uh, his his reputation uh, because of the body of work instead of just the singular film. Well, I think that would make him kind of a one-hit film wonder, like, a, oh, and it, it's kind of the thing of, wow, there was one thing so great, and we want that again. It just hasn't happened. And obviously, you know, filmmakers who are not straight white men don't get that opportunity if they fuck up after a first feature. It's like, mm-hmm. a well, the next one wasn't great, so we're not giving you another, whereas – you know, had he, I mean, he hasn't, he has great movies after this. And I'm trying to think of, but like, look at Zack Snyder. Critically, audience wise, how do a lot of his movies fare? They're not regarded generally as great. And yet, or even, I mean, okay, you know, who's an interesting one to look at? Colin Trevorrow. He had that Mm -hmm. indie movie, Safety Not Guaranteed. It was interesting. There were some really good ideas. It was a fun little watch. And then they give him the Jurassic World movies. And they're just like, 
It was pretty terrible. But then <laughs> they kept giving terrible. them to him, you know? And you're just like, yeah. oh, okay. But you're you're constantly watching and you're like, okay, well, I'm not. And then you're no longer enthused because they went straight to doing boring studio things. And you're like, okay, well, that's it. You know, I, I think of like M. Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. because I really only think he had one, maybe two movies that I think were good. And the rest are kind of just, meh, you know, pretty unforgettable. Um, and yeah. T- Tom Hooper as well. Tom, Ho- <laughs> Tom Hooper has, I mean, yes, cats kind of ruined everything for him, right? <laughs> He's the one that he won. Didn't he win an Academy Award? King's Speech. King's Speech. But how much do you love the King's Speech? Or are you just like, eh? I, it's okay. It was a one and yeah. done for me. It was mm-hmm. a one and done film. I love Colin Firth. Um, absolutely love Jeffrey Rush. I thought they were fantastic. But I mean, he did Les Mis, but even that, it's still not no, the best Les Mis. No, it's not. Um, the Danish Girl, same thing. You know, I, I feel like that's just the. See, that's when we were casting trans people mm-hmm. to play trans characters, and there was no excuse. Mm-hmm. And and it was catered towards the Oscars, and and it's hard with mm-hmm. films like that because they're they're pandering for a specific audience, and that's that's Oscar bait. And I, yeah. I just I, I did not. I don't feel think that. anything David Lynch has ever put out is like I'm going for my Oscars. It's like mm-hmm. this is the weird shit in my head, you guys. <laughs> this is the weird shit. Uh, Michael Camino, um, he did uh, mm-hmm. Deer Hunter, but mm-hmm. you know he directed Heaven's Gate, which was whoa. <laughs> Like a five-hour movie. We're, we're talking about him the other day because we were talking about him in relation to someone else who like was just kept putting out shitty movies versus him who just like had too bad a stinker and then stopped even though he had some legit good shit before. Oh, we were talking about Yandabont. Yandabont. Because mm-hmm. we watched we watched Speed and we're like Yandabont, and then Yandabont. we put on we immediately put on Twister after without realizing that he also directed that right after directing Speed because we're watching and we're like, oh, look, it's two of the same actors. We get to the director credit. We go, wait, what? So then I'm looking <laughs> at his his filmography as a director and it's Speed, Twister. Are those like phenomenal works of cinema? No, mm-hmm. but they're super fucking fun. Oh, they're fun. They're great action movies. And then after the that, he has- the best Willem Dafoe face ever when he's like, ah, <laughs> looking at the bomb. <laughs> Speed 2. You're thinking Speed 2. Oh, See, shit. That's- yeah, yeah well, speed one I guess is, they had a different um, director for the second one. Yeah, no, and they was, didn't. Yeah, Dennis Hopper, though, is in Speed 1. Yeah, so. So, yeah, no, he does Speed Twister, and then he does Speed 2, so it takes a nosedive. And yeah. then after he does Speed 2, he does The Haunting. Okay, yeah. The one that we covered. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then he does one of the Lara Croft Tomb Raider movies. That's the last thing he directed. And both of those weren't very good mm-hmm. in general. So he has, like, two well-regarded Totally like fun action movies and then three stinkers. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, I think, I think that the exceptions can be, oh God, I don't even know if there are exceptions really there, that I can think of. I can think of one, but he's a French director. Michael Gondry? No, um, it's going to be more niche. There's a French director named uh, Christophe Honoré. Mm-hmm. Um, he... He has a movie that is one of my personal favorites called Love Songs from 2009. Um, And he kind of broke out on the scene in the first decade of the 2000s and had some really interesting movies. And a lot of critics said, like, whatever his first was, people said, like, this guy is someone to watch. Mm -hmm. And he kept putting out work and a lot of things were just kind of – some were good. Some were also just kind of, like, in this middling um, and and – 
then in like 2019, he made this movie called Sorry Angel that stars Pierre, uh, let me try to pronounce this, Duladon Champ, who's in Stranger by the Lake. It is gorgeous, heartbreaking, fucking beautiful movie. Saw it in theaters. And that one, the reviewers were like, We've been following this guy for, you know, 15 years now because we knew one day there was going to be something that hit the highs of his original work that, like, actually finally got to where we thought this man could be as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. This is it. Okay. I dig it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm a very big fan of his. Um, he just, like, his work means a lot to me personally. No. Oh. Well, there you go. I like it. Uh, Chad Stahelski who did the John Wick movies. Those are the only movies he's directed. That's a good example. Now, he will forever be tied to John Wick. Mm -hmm. There are rumors that he is supposed to, God, he's supposed to reboot a franchise or something like that. Um, I'll have to look it up. But he, his claim to fame will be John Wick, one through four. Yeah. And I absolutely love those movies. I am like a hog in shit when I watch those movies because I love practical effects. I love practical fights. And for him being able to because he was a stunt performer for Keanu Reeves uh, on the Matrix for him to understand and appreciate that. Like I've always said, I believe stunt performers need an Oscar uh, or an Academy Awards category at the Oscars because it is an incredibly difficult and incredibly underlooked job. Oh, and yeah. As I, in SAG, we vote for best stunts. Yeah, it's it's so cool. And, and I think that you know, he really brings that home and you're just like, oh man, that's incredible. Um, so I also want to vote for best intimacy. Pushing th for that. That I mean, again, s same kind of thing. Like, Also, that would legitimize intimacy coordinators even more if it was like, a, let's vote for the intimacy coordinator. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think, and I don't even want to get started in the Academy Awards because they, they piss me off, but it is what it is. It does look like he has a lot of um, things in development based off of like video games like Ghost of Tsushima and Vice City, um, Rainbow Six, and then he's supposed to redo the Highlander movie. So that would be fascinating. But as of right now, he might be one of those. His first film is his best, and he might be a flash in the pan. But hope not. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that is all I have for Eraserhead. So uh, hottest take. Defend your hottest, most controversial take on this film, on David Lynch, on actors. Go ahead. I almost texted you this, and I said, no, I'm saving this, this <laughs> doozy of a line. I think Ben Shapiro would be very confused by the wetness in this movie, and David Lynch <laughs> knows how to make a pussy wet. Oh, there you go. Because there is a lot of imagery that's like, that's a wet vagina. Specifically that sex scene. Where oh, they are boy. literally like, he moves down first before she does. They're in a a yonic pool of water. Hmm. Just saying. And it's like a kind of milky water. So it's, you know, it, it's it's got that um texture. Yikes. <laughs> ben so Shapiro. That's my hot take. Ben Shapiro's a piece of shit. Yes. He's like, weird. I, oh, he's like weirdly into his sister. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah like all those photos and stuff. And she's she's very attractive, but it's like, dude, Jesus, like she's stop. your sister. <laughs> Just sister. So, you know, my, my brother has never commented on my Instagram post to be like, wow, boobs look and fly. <laughs> boobs are great. <laughs> boobs looking on point there, sis. If that happened, I'd be like, ah, uh, we need to have a conversation because you are not a gay man. You are my brother and that's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is very odd, but I, I dig it. I mean, I, I think I would probably pay money to hear 
Ben Shapiro's <laughs> reaction to this movie if he actually watched it instead of just sensationalizing for for clicks. Um, the guy had uh, almost had a heart attack watching Barbie. He just he couldn't understand it. His it little so peanut sized brain just couldn't understand it. And I was it like, was... this movie wasn't made for you, bud. <laughs> Go watch. Um, God, I don't know. Sound of Freedom. Go watch Sound of Freedom with you'll be the only one in the theater, but it'll be sold out. So <laughs> <laughs> that whole debacle. OK, I dig it. I like the hot take. Um, I don't really have a hot take. I think mine would probably be that Lynch, although I'm not a huge fan of his because it is almost cult like status with his fans, in my opinion. But that's not a bad thing because I really appreciate the hell out of the guy. And he made me think a lot about this film after I watched it, which I think is the hallmark of of what could be considered a good movie or at mm-hmm. least a, a artful film because it, it stays ins- with you. It stays with me. And, and, and I'm thinking of the meaning, you know, show me that meaning. So for that, I'll jump into the letter grade. And and I didn't like this movie at all. Um, and so it, I would give it probably a D minus. However, after speaking with you and just discussing Lynch and, and thinking about Lynch, especially when I let it marinate for like a day or two, I appreciate this movie a lot more than what it is. And so like I'm going to give it a B minus. And, and that's really high. Um, but I, I just think that it does deserve that for... I'm trying to go back in time to 1977 and be like, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. It's 2024 now, and I've never seen anything like this. So for me, I'm just like, I can appreciate the hell out of that. And as a cinephile, I am so happy that that films like this can be made from directors like that. So it's got to be a B minus for me. Yeah. No. Wow. I'm 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 pumped here. Um, it, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying no, like I, get it. I like it. It's it's but but I can appreciate, but appreciate the hell it out of it as yeah. a movie. And I know? love that it, there's open interpretation and it made me think. Yes, like there are movies that just you don't like and they don't do anything for cinema and you're just mm-hmm. like that existed. I wasted my time. It, I'm not even going to think about this again. I'm yeah. angry that I wasted that time versus like there's something here whether it's for you or not for you. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to go sit and rewatch it time after time. It's a weird fucking movie. Um <laughs> that being said, I definitely lean weirder in my tastes than mm-hmm. you do. Um and, you know, I'll, I'll slip in the, some weirder movies as we go along. You know, and, and my, I promise to our, our listenership that the next director I picked, because we each picked two directors, is much more standard <laughs> than David Lynch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go A minus. Oh, wow. Okay. He gave it a, a lot higher. I dig it. But uh, I can't argue with you. So. Okay. Uh, what are you working on? Where can we find you on social media? I, uh, at Amanda Jane Stern, at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, those are them. I think that's also my TikTok handle, not that I post that often. Um, I am doing deliverables for my feature because we have distribution. Um, so we'll be coming out sometime next this, this year, not next year. This yeah, year, it's 2024. 2024. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, just trying to get other projects up and running. Love it. Love to hear it. Okay, cool. Well, Amanda, thank you as always. And everybody else, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Threads, Facebook, Instagram, um, and all the other sites. I think that's all we have. At DB Crazy Pod, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us if we're crazy, or just send funny memes. 
Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like us, leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening. And until next time, don't be crazy.